I think Nikolai is a class traitor. Controversial. In ways. Hello and welcome to another episode of Literary Liberation Podcast. Today we will be discussing, analyzing, and reviewing the Shadow and Bone trilogy by Lee Bardugo. For more content outside of the podcast, please check out our Instagram and TikTok at Literary Liberation and Twitter at LitLib Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mariah. You can find me at HungryRye on all social media platforms. And I'm your other co-host, Kristen. You can find me at KRXXDXN on all social media platforms. Moving on to Shadow and Bone, the trilogy. Um, I guess I will give a warning. We are specifically only talking about the Shadow and Bone trilogy, even though there are more books within the Grishaverse. I, since I personally have read them all, um, I thought it would be better if we did, if we split them up into more in-depth episodes. <laughs> Why did you brush your hair? Just my bangs. <laughs> just so, um, but anyways... I thought it would be more digestible if we split it up into, like, the individual sections for, like, Shadow and Bone, Six of Crows duology, and the King of Scars duology instead of just doing, like, all of the Grishaverse at once because it kind of focuses on different sections of the world at different times throughout all of these different trilogies, even though they do kind of take over, like, the overlapping of, I would say, 10 years or so, give or take a few years, you know? So, um, we are splitting them up. Mariah has read the King of Scars, or not, has not read the King of Scars duology, but has read Six of Crows duology and Shadow and Bone. I am going to read the other one, yes. but I'm going to wait, I think, until Kristen starts it, and then we can do My a reread. Read. My reread of it. Kristen's reread, and we'll do a bed read on story graphs, so we will be able to track our distinct thoughts. I think our thoughts a lot easier than when we tried to do it with Babel, because I think this will be significantly easier. Yeah. Because we used to do that with most of our books. We did. we have fallen to, off. We did used to do a lot of buddy reads. Apparently last year, my story graph said that like 33% of the books that I read in 2023 were uh, buddy reads. So that means 33% of the books I read, you also read. What can I say? But I, <laughs> that... I think most of them were the books that Kristen recommended. Yeah, well, because I feel like you, we don't read a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, period. <laughs> like, we have, I mean, like, even though, like, we both read, like, fantasy a lot, I read a lot different fantasy than what you read, personally, and then, like, fun, and things like that. You read a lot more I got really fantasy. into the Rubyverse. I don't, it, it was, like, a, well, a I moment. Feel, I feel like, even in general, you read a lot of, like, the Rubyverse, or not the Rubyverse, the romanticy like, section a book talk that's kind of like more in your wheelhouse where i'm reading more i don't know like general fantasy yes i think so i read what book talk says and then but this this series is actually a book talk series like this is which is like... pretty crazy because i never saw this recommended on fantasy book talk but i think it's because it got really popular around the time that you were really getting back into reading. So I, I think people just don't recommend it as much anymore. Okay, I actually read it before. Like, I started, I read this series first in 2022. I really started my reading journey again in 2020. I was already reading before that, but I actually only wanted to read because of the Netflix show. I saw that the Netflix show had a lot of good reviews, and I was like, well, I want to read it before. And then I really fell in love 
with this series. Like, I think Book Talk popped off with this. Even though, comparatively, comparing this series to Lee Verdugo's other two series, this is, like, I'm not going to say hot garbage because I love it. And it's, like, it does a lot for me personally and what I enjoy in my fantasy. But comparatively, I can definitely see how people can view this as a weaker part of the series rather than Six of Crows or the King of Scars duology. Which I think the King of Scars duology is underrated. Nobody talks about that, ever. It's always Six of Crows. Which, yes, I love Six of Crows, but King of Scars has my heart. I think it's probably because you wouldn't be as inclined to read it because it is like a spin-off of Shadow and Bone. Mm-hmm. And you do have to read and Shadow and I Bone. Just, I don't think you have to read... Six of Crows, really. I mean, there's like a little bit. You right, do have one to, character. well, because Nina is fall. She's one of the main characters in King of Scars as well. Like her point of view is also because so Shadow and Bone is written from first person's perspective. You only get Alina's thoughts, her actions, how she interprets other people's actions. I pronoun, you know, like it's very much first person's perspective. Six of Crows and the King of Scars duology are both third person limited perspectives where each chapter a character is prioritized for that character so like and like instead of the chapters being numbered like in six of crows kaz will have a chapter jesper have a chapter matthias will have a chapter Nina will have a chapter and then the same thing in king of Scars. but it mostly follows i want to say nikolai zoya and nina which nikolai and zoya are very important in the shadow and book and i think zoya is also mentioned them is it yeah it's in the second one. Yeah. You actually do get, like, a cameo. Like, she's referenced throughout that one, but... Yeah, because with Nina... A moment. She was in school during the Shadow and Bone trilogy. She's, like, the main heart render for the Six of Crows. So since she was in school, she's not relevant at all. You consider this, like, an academia. Like, a dark... I know it... Not at all. You think in no. modern book talk tropes, would it be labeled as, like dark like academia dark academia i don't think it would be academia really because the schooling element is only focused on in shadow and bone really and even then it's a minuscule amount comparatively to like the series overall like i mean it's like if- let's give like a tldr summary of this for people who are maybe have never heard of this i would be surprised if you didn't heard of it because i feel like it has what 1.5 billion views on the hashtag shadow yeah. and bone so it's very popular billion but views is a lot i mean comparatively no to like, spoiler summary i wrote one out is. actually under did the, you yeah you wrote that yourself i wrote that myself okay pop off uh well be i actually didn't know what i should did you read it like the last sentence <laughs> wait the last sentence i didn't know what to put for the last p because i had like a little like alliteration thing going with the p's I put prayer, but I was also thinking passion. So if you think passion is better, I'll change it to passion. I just thought it was cute. I don't know. I feel like the religious element is, I think That's prayer what is I thought. Okay. So this is what I wrote personally today after I just, I just finished my reread of Ruin and Rising like an hour ago. It's still fresh on my mind and fresh in my heart. And I love this series. But anyways, so this series follows Alina Starkov, the sun summoner who is living in a czarist Russia inspired country of Rodka. Her unique power intrigues the interests of the Darkling, another Grisha with a one-of-a-kind power. From being a nobody orphan to one of the most powerful beings in the world, she must navigate this new land of politics, power, prayer. That's that like, needs to be the summary on Goodreads. Yeah, I, I'm like, 
I like read like the other summaries of it and kind of like reworked it and stuff like that. But I mean, basically the first Shadow and Bone, it's like your typical like YA novel where it's like the chosen one is thrust into like a new world that they don't really have any experience in or anything like that. And I think it's a very typical YA for pretty much the whole series, but I think that's what makes it work so well, in my opinion, because I love, like, young adult novels and, like, general, like, Harry Potter I was a big fan of back in the day, whatever that was, like, big, Percy Jackson I was a big fan of, I mean, I was just, like, eating those chosen one stories up. I think if I had known about this, because I don't think it came out when I was in high school. It came out in 2012. Did it really? The first book. So I was like near in high school. Yeah. So I mean, I may have picked it up and read it, but this when I was like a junior in high school is like when everyone was reading the Hunger Games and stuff. That so was middle school. I just like wasn't. I was over it. Like whatever, moving on. You thought you were too cool for the Hunger Games. I was too old. I was too old for all of this. So, but looking back, I probably would have really enjoyed this. I know, I definitely would have, which is crazy that I didn't even hear about this until, like, 21, 2022-ish. But I feel like even then, I didn't feel, like, hear about Shadow and Bone. I always heard about Six of Crows. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do lollipop payment. <laughs> the lollipop tax. <laughs> I gotta keep these. <laughs> it's like the Phantom Tax. Do you even know what that is? I know it from the song. The song? Yeah. What is it? Um. Oh, shit. Now I can't think of it. It's that skippity. Right, it's like who sings it? It's like a TikTok audio. Wait, I don't know. I don't know which audio you're no, talking about. Okay. Not specifically. No. Well, because there's one that me and Tyler. Out your tongue for the Rizzler. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so phantom oh, tax, but I they say phantom tax in that one. Well, because um, yeah, do you know Curtis Connor? Um, Curtis Connor, yeah. Yes. Well, because he did one that me and Tyler do a lot, where it's like since you've been got. I can riz for the first time. I'm so Livy done. But like, that's the one we sing a lot. And like, there's like a Phantom Tax line in that. But it's something to do with like some streamer, from my understanding, where he streams and then like his friend comes in and if he's eating food, he takes some of the food and that's the Phantom Tax. I would have never known that. If I'm honest, I thought Tyler it was like told a me. Roblox thing. No, Tyler told me oh, what it was. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't care, <laughs> but, um, anyways, moving on, from, anyways, <laughs> whenever I think I, which is crazy because I feel like I read a lot in like middle school too, but I just feel like nobody talked about this from like where I was at and like what I read and things like that, like, you know, I feel like I'd never heard about this until basically the Netflix show came out. Same. I didn't know who Lee Bardugo was. Which, yeah, and I didn't even know about like the show until you said that there was a show. You're just like, you should read this. I knew literally nothing about this. I know. I didn't either. And But I only saw, I didn't even see people like recommending Shadow and Bone. Like I saw people recommending Six of Crows more than anything, which is true. Six of Crows is the better series, like objectively, but the series is still special oh, yeah. to me. <laughs> but well, because like I remember even whenever I first read this, this might be a controversial read through because I did not tell Mariah to do this. This is how I read it the first time. I read Shadow and Bone first and then I read Six of Crows because I was so intrigued about like the story. And everyone's like, you don't even have to read Shadow and Bone if you want to read Six of Crows, which you don't. I think objectively you could read Six of Crows and Cricket Kingdom as its own duology, while King of Scars, you do have to read all 
both of the series for it in my yeah. humble opinion but i think you should still read shadow and bone but i don't know it really depends on like what kind of fantasy you're interested in reading because i think six of crows is a good overall fantasy where anybody that's interested in fantasy can enjoy six of crows because even tyler's reading six of crows i mean he hasn't finished it because he's incredibly slow and he barely reads but he loves every time he reads it he's like this is so good I'm always like, why do you keep stop reading for months at a time? But I don't think he would personally enjoy Shadow and Bone. He liked the TV show, but it wasn't like anything revolutionary. Then. I just wish like Shadow and Bone, the trilogy could be reworked a little bit and maybe aged up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because it, it does pretty well. Like it has a pretty like solid rating on Goodreads overall. Like it gets about four star ratings for every single book. Which like, I think Shadow is Bone usually... Forms. Rune and Rising is all about a four star rating. Yeah, which is pretty good considering I feel like most like series, at least that are like trilogies like this, they're usually more critiqued and stuff like that. And they're never like as popular like all the way through. Well, I feel like Shadow and Bone is very consistent all the way through. And like, I mean, obviously this was popular enough to be turned into like one of the first like book talk TV shows, wouldn't you say? I mean, it had to have gotten a lot of popularity before book talk before it became a show, right? I'm not sure. I mean, I really only saw it on Book Talk beforehand. Like, I never, like, ever... But I also didn't consume, like, other media, like, for books and things like that in, like, high school or even after high school. Like, I don't... I really just... I never saw this anywhere. And I just would think, personally, that if this is supposed to be, like, such a big series and stuff like that, that I would have heard about it. Because, like... Even, like, Cassandra Clare's, like, The Mortal Instrument and, like, uh, the other one called, whatever, you know, the the one about, like, the angels or something. They're, Cassandra, angels. Cassandra Clare, she's, like, a big, like, author that I've, like, always heard about, but I've never read any of her stuff personally. But she's kind of, like, in the YA, like, universe and stuff like that. And there's other, like, books and stuff that I've always heard about and, like, surged in popularity, even if they don't have, like, an adaptation. But I never personally consumed them. Well, I feel like Shadow and Bone, I never even, like, heard about before TikTok. I'm trying to remember, like, how book recommendations went when I was in school. A lot of it had to do with, like, Twilight, right? It was, like, things that your friends read. Well, because, like, in whatever I was reading in school, I didn't have very many friends. So I would kind of just go through whatever... Like, I would, I was very much, like, a browser. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll read it and check it out of the library and things like that. Where it was never, I'm like... Except for, Other like... Other than that, though, like, it was just, like, word of mouth. Like, social yeah. media wasn't super prevalent when I was in middle school, but it was also, like, when MySpace was and, like, people weren't recommending books on MySpace that I can remember. No, I feel like, like especially recently within these last, like, I would say, like, maybe, like, five years or so since maybe, like, 2019... It's kind of where, like, the resurgence of, like, popularizing reading has really gotten big, especially with, like, BookTok and things like that. Where, like, I feel like 2019 was also the big boom for TikTok in general, right? Yeah, like, late 20- uh, TikTok videos were getting shared on Twitter, um, and then I think people were slowly moving over. Anyways! Moving on. <laughs> okay, moving on. back to what you were saying about books. Yeah, I just remember in school you got it from your friends. Like, you'd see your friend reading a book, and obviously mine were all, like, related to vampires, because that was very prevalent. Um, I don't remember reading a lot of books in high school outside of, like, recommended classics. 
like we read Romeo and Juliet and The Crucible and uh, The Odyssey yeah, and whatnot. I think some of them reading so much. And the same with like, yeah, with college is we were reading so many books that were recommended reading that I didn't have it in me to like pursue reading leisurely. So mm-hmm. I don't know that. I think that was my train of um okay but anyways so moving on we can talk about leo bardugo herself so um leo bardugo was actually born in jerusalem in 1975 and she was raised in la so um she is specifically jewish uh we'll go over that in a second but she has experience in copywriting journalism and then also makeup and special effects which is kind of like random but she talks about it because like all of my copies of shadow and bones they have like a q a with lee bardugo where she also goes in depth more about like writing each specific book and stuff like that which i really love to read whenever it's like about books or authors that i really enjoy just getting like their mind i think is really interesting or even just getting like slice of life things about like that so like i love looking at like all the little extras that are in the shadow and bone but then she also had Shadow and Bone was actually her debut novel, which I think is a crazy. real it's a really strong debut novel, which obviously it's not as strong as her other work, but for this being like her debut series, it is a very strong first like first thing out of the gate sort of thing. And then all of these books have been like nominated for awards and stuff like that. But she also has osteonecrosis. I don't know if that's how you say it, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. But I know it, like, causes, like, mobility issues and things like that. So she has to use a cane to walk sometimes, which actually inspires why Kaz uses a cane in Six of Crows, which is kind of, like, cool to have, like, that type of, like, representation with, like, disabilities and that, which I think a lot of fantasy kind of avoids. Yeah, a lot of mainstream fantasy. They're, like, typical, like, white, porcelain. There's always a lot of, like, oh, they were so fair, so blonde, mm-hmm. um, very athletic. Like, there's not a lot of diversity but I feel, in main characters. I feel like Shadow and Bone is pretty diverse, especially for, like, 2012 at the time and things like that. Because there are, like, Asian characters and things like that. Because, like, within the world of the Grishaverse, there is the Shuhan, which is, like, they're Asian-inspired countries. And then, um, even whenever, um, this was made into the TV show, the actress that pays as Alina, she's Asian as well. So, they work into, I know you don't know this, Mariah, because you didn't watch the show, but they work into the show like, besides Alina just being criticized because she's poor, they also uh, talk about racism a lot because a lot of people are racist to her because she's Shu, the show, because she's Asian. Interesting. I didn't know that they did that. Yeah, so I think that's, like, a different, like, standpoint and stuff like that because there are also other Asian characters within the stories, but I don't really think they face, like, specific, like, discrimination. Which I think it makes sense given, like, where it is meant to be, like, in the world, even though it's, like, Ravka isn't technically Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there is like you can definitely see Eastern Europe. Yeah. That's where you have like Tibet and mm-hmm. whatnot, and um, like Yugoslavia and what not. I'm trying to think of other countries that were part of the USSR that like dissolved, but they were. But even like I Mongolia and stuff like that, and like China are like right next to like the eastern side of Russia, obviously. So that makes sense. And then even like uh, Fyrdin 
is like the country that's north of Ravka, which is like Viking sort of, I guess you could say. That's like the people that live there are like Viking inspired, which is like, that's like the main like continent that most, there's also like Perch, which is another like tiny little country that's like shown to be no, which is Six of Crows takes place in Ketterdam, which is capital of Perch. And that's like a little tiny island. And then there's like Noivizem, which I think is supposed to be, I guess, similar to like Africa maybe, because I think that's where Jesper is supposed to be from. And then I can't, it makes me mad because I can't spoil King of Scars because there's like another reason why like Noivizem is also like mentioned and things like that within King of Scars and about like a character from in this. And so we'll definitely talk about that more within like king of scars because i feel like it definitely talks about like racism and like whitewashing and things like that which is i think something that's really refreshing to see in fantasy because that's not something especially in like a book talk book but moving on from that we can go definitely more into that here soon but i wanted to talk about like the quote-unquote controversies surrounding lee bardugo because which there wasn't much no the only thing that i personally saw because like also i think too where she's not somebody who's like super like on social media in many ways like he has like an instagram but it's not like uh here are my thoughts and opinions on everything that happens within that which it's very much she's the only thing that she talks about online about anything is just about like her books or publishing process and things like that which i think is pretty refreshing but then i she does talk about like some politics and things like that because she is jewish and she's from israel i guess back originally whenever uh like the palestine israel whenever like israel was originally attacking like palestine like not like originally like within like 1950s and things like that but i think there was like a surge of it i guess in like 2017 i think it's like with social media like there's yeah. one of the bigger instances of it happening where we all were kind of collectively using social media so it was getting a different kind of like publicity outside of mainstream journalism Yes, exactly. And so that, like, was, I guess I was, like, 2016-ish time and stuff like that. But then I well, I couldn't see the tweets uh, because Lee Bardugo has deleted her Twitter, which I don't blame her. That website fucking sucks now. So I don't know when she deleted it or anything like that. But it was deleted, so I don't know, like, her exact response. But, like, some of it showed online on the, the Google, like, you click on it, and then it says, like, this tweet deleted, but the little summary is still there. But basically, somebody in, this was in 2020, they originally tweeted this, where they were like, how are y'all still supporting Lee Bardugo? She's a Zionist or whatever. Then people are like, oh, she's a Zionist. And what the tweet was, where apparently someone asked her if she was a Zionist, and then they just sent a screenshot of this tweet that said, second, you're right, Israel has some big issues on the table. So does Russia and Turkey and Venezuela and the U.S., and that, so obviously there was another tweet before that with the context, but that tweet is no longer around, so I don't know what the original tweet said. But Lee Bardugo then responded to that person saying that she was a Zionist, saying that um, apparently, quote-unquote, I explicitly stated that I wasn't a Zionist because I'm not. I am a Jew. I support a free Palestine, specifically, she has said. So that's something that's more than like what other authors have done. And then since the October 7th attack, she has posted more pro-Palestine um, Instagram stories and, like, donations to that. But, I mean, she still said free Palestine in 2016, which is more than what, or I guess 2020, I think it was, she said specifically free Palestine. Which That's is more than what a lot of mainstream authors are doing now. 
and yeah after the fact after everything that has happened that has been much more like present on social media and things like that and this is before it was like a bigger issue and it makes sense that she was more aware of it too because obviously being born in jerusalem and stuff like that but i think it's really interesting because she probably realizes too that even though she was born in jerusalem she moved or her family moved her back to los angeles california and that's where she grew up and still lives i think she still which is like a good thing because at least she didn't have to serve in the idf yeah but it definitely so. is, it's an interesting thing to me because, like, no offense to, like, her parents and stuff, and this is all, like, 100% speculation and things like that, about, like, why they were in, like, Israel during that time period and stuff like that. I mean, she was born in the 1970s, so I think definitely a lot of, like, the media pre- presence that's happening now, it was a lot different back then, too, where obviously they still had, like, the birthright trips and things like that, but they didn't have, I don't think it was, like, an open genocide in the way that it is yeah because i think was it 2006 whenever the like second big push was there was like a big push whenever they first moved there where they started like pushing out yeah so everything i've read on it like thus far um because like there was the original Nakba, which happened after world war ii mm-hmm. and then israel had they were in gaza mm-hmm. right and then they left and this is like the biggest like critique that comes from Zionists. They're like, oh, well, Israel isn't even in Gaza. They left in 2006, but they still were, like, yeah. bombing <laughs> with them. So it's like, okay, that's great. You So instead of, like, occupying the area, you made it, like, an open-air concentration camp. Yeah. So there's been a lot that's happened, but, like, what's happening now is, like, the worst since, like, the original Nakba. Yes. Based on, like, casualties. It's really fucked. Yeah. But obviously, I mean, she realizes that it's wrong. She said free Palestine and stuff like that. So, I mean, like, I don't think there's much more you can do to critique her on it. Where, like, I guess the only thing is that she's not, like, every day posting about Palestine and stuff like that. But it's still significantly more than, like, what other authors have been doing. Like, people like Sarah J. Maas and things like that who have been completely silent on it. And now I see people, like, defending Sarah J. Maas who's like, well, her mental health. <laughs> that's what i saw what? there was like a reddit thing where i was like so how come everyone's gonna criticize sjm but they're not gonna criticize lee bardugo and i'm like well one lee bardugo specifically said free palestine you know like it's because they want to justify reading and consuming the new book they're finding any way to like forgive and forget and just let it go because they want to practice their own form of escapism even though i know in this book there's gonna be like a pseudo revolution it's gonna be like you know what and i'm glad it got leaked online i'm glad the ending got spoiled for all these fucking oh did it get leaked <laughs> i didn't know that and, like, somebody spoiled the end of it so like if you look it up like you can find what happens in the book oh i i'm sure so. in the end it's gonna be some central like thing and stuff like that and like nobody here is like criticizing like what you read and things like that but there's a difference between like what you read because mariah loves like the akatar series and even crescent cities and things like that but it's a difference whenever you're sitting there reading it not thinking critically about it it, and then just promoting it blindly exactly like i think you can read it because it's not included in like the bds like boycott but Mm -hmm. don't promote it if you want to read it it like your top books and like you want to read it in Whatever. the privacy of your own home? Nobody is sitting there criticizing. I like me personally. I'm I love Percy Jackson. I own all the books. I will probably reread the books again because I love that series and stuff like that. Even though Rick Warren has a problematic take, but I'm not going to sit there and then go around and be like, 
you should read the Percy Jackson series now, blah, blah, blah. After everything that's happened with Rick Riordan and Statement, even though he has, like, released pro-Palestine, like, donations and stuff like that, that's not even the bare minimum anymore because those donations aren't even getting to Palestine. So it's, like, frustrating because, like, Sarah J. Mass has actively said nothing and went on a birthright trip back in who knows how many years ago, you know? And so I think if you want to consume quote-unquote problematic authors because, like, that can be taken in so many ways, nobody is telling you you can't, but the the issue everyone has is that you're sitting there promoting it and telling other people to read it. Everybody already knows who Sarah J. Mass is if they're on any type of book talk. You don't need to go around and give her promotion. That's like going around promoting, like, fourth wing. Like, you don't need to do that. People already know it. They got it. That's, like, the biggest series. And I bet, I 100% bet you this next week or next two weeks whenever Crescent City comes out, I promise you that book is going to be on the New York Times bestseller. She does not need your promotion. That's like bootlicking to the extreme. It's very strange. Boot, book talk is a very strange place. I think I say this in most podcasts, but then we talk about it and just analyze the social media, I guess, community that is book talk that talk about like fantasy reads. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. Like the people that consume it and like the whole mentality around being so staunchly a- like apolitical mm-hmm. and like defending their favorite authors through Luru because they like relate to these characters. I don't know. They must have it in them some like I don't I don't know how to describe it. Like they they are like trying to justify their own biases. Yeah, it is like like, authors, like projecting their own insecurities. And their lack of political education, and there's like, well, no, they're fine because of X, Y, and Z, but in reality, they probably feel that about. Them. Um, this is all hypothetical. Yeah, it's just what I think. We don't talk to any of these people. We don't really talk to like other book talkers like that specifically. No, I, we only talk to nonfiction book talkers. Those like, are the only, yeah. <laughs> like that are, which I mean, like, so like, if any other book talker has like their like opinion and stuff like that, they want to discuss it with us. I'm sure we're totally open to like an open discussion, but it's also like the fact mm-hmm. is, is that like people read so many books mm-hmm. within a year. And I think more, the fact that more people is reading is great, even if you're reading disgusting, reverse harem. <laughs> <laughs> dark romances and things like that which is like i'm not gonna critique that because at least you're reading that's more than just like sitting there scrolling through social media and nobody's critiquing that it's just the fact that you're gonna sit here and justify it and sit here and be like well i cannot critically consume what i read whenever everything that you read is inherently political whether or not you want to sit there and believe it or not and i'd argue that books are one of the most political forms of media especially within recent history there's a reason that there's like banned book lists and like the u.s government will do literally anything in their power to ban like gay or queer mm-hmm. or like critical race theory any like books have those tropes like there's a reason because reading is powerful and it can like motivate people to want to learn about history like oh this inspired this i want to learn more about x y and z so i don't know yeah um, except george orwell that man deserves to be banned <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's crazy because, like, it's banned because, like, it's funny because, like, I feel like a lot of, like, left-wing people, they read it and they're like, oh, this is criticizing capitalism. And then, like, right-wing people read it and they're like, oh, this is criticizing communism. Where it's like, what? If you're, the fact that if your message could get misconstrued either way, that's a weak story, in my opinion. Exactly. Exactly. 
Which, but I also think a lot of the right wing people that are like, this is just like 1984 communism is. I don't think they actually read the book either, though. No, they probably watched like a movie, which I did see when I was walking through Barnes and Noble. I don't think I told you this. Um, in like the main science fiction aisle that you like walk through, um, there is a new like retelling of 1984 that some woman author wrote. Okay. Why would you want to do that? I don't know. But they're like, oh, they made it more like contemporary. Does it need to be contemporary? It exists though. Okay. Because <laughs> I had to do a double take. Sorry, you can okay. take that out. I forgot <laughs> to tell you. Moving on to actual, I guess, like, criticism. I looked at, like, the one-star reviews on Goodread, which is only 1% of Shadow and Bones gave it one star. I didn't look at what the percentages of two-star is. But I feel like one-star, like, the people that either DNF'd it or, like, absolutely hated it were, like, I feel like two-star you can usually find, like, some type of redeeming qualities within it. Um, But the one-star, only 1% on Goodreads gave it a bad review. And all of the bad reviews that I saw, they were just, like, hating on Alina as a character, which... To me, it kind of felt misogynistic. Um, because to me personally, I don't feel like she's any different from like your Harry Potter, your Percy Jackson, and things like that. Where just because she's a woman, it's more like she's a bland character, or like because she's not confident in most of the book. Just because like, and I think that's something that I think is kind of important to showcase too. That I feel like, especially if I did it came out in like 2012 and stuff like that and reading this as like a middle schooler high schooler i would find myself in alina where she is like an unconfident person where she's not like advocated as like but she's also like a teenager isn't she i think she's, so. really she's in the army so i guess i'm assuming that technically i guess they'd be like fresh i don't know what the draft age is in rafka i know it's supposed to be younger and I I kind of imagine her as, like, 17, freshly 18. Because, like... I can see that. I don't know exactly... I know the draft days is supposed to be, like, younger and Ravka because they're, like, constantly at war with, like, the Shuhan and Yerda and stuff like that. Um, But I kind of see her as, like, freshly 18. And then, like, in Six of Crows, it's insane to me that Kaz is supposed to be, like, 16. Like, that man is 25 years old. I'm sorry. He is not really 16. Is. <laughs> He's old. That man is... I I don't know either and so like but like so that's why I feel like that's something too where like I can see that being a criticism where it's like oh she's 15 16 but also like 18 year olds are not confident people especially if you're going through like this and of course she's going to be like critiquing herself and stuff like that because who's not critiquing themselves well her and Mal were both orphans yeah like she didn't have like a parent to like teach her like things like that they have uh Anna Q Yuya or something I think her name is which is like the orphanage woman and stuff like that that taught him like some things but there's also like within not having like parental love and things like that it's harder to I think be like a positive influence on yourself but I mean Alina Starkov and Mal Orstev whatever his last name is proletariat kings and queens huh you know their dynamic now that you said that it was written in 2012 it does remind me a lot of like the katniss and gail or whatever the two characters and like divergent like that same kind of dynamic uh, four and chris yeah it's, yeah i see it i see it now yeah so it makes sense for the time even if i don't necessarily agree with it and i wonder like if lee bardugo could change anything about it but then i wonder 
if something like that was changed about it, would it have received, like, the popularity within itself? Because, I mean, like, you think about, like, young adult novels back in that age, what was marketable? Love triangles. So, of course, you're gonna have the, like, regular guy, and then you're gonna have the mysterious... I don't know, villain. Darkling. He doesn't even have a name. His Darkling. He does have a name. Yeah, but not. You don't find about. You don't find out about it until the last book. Do you find? I think the last book is whenever you find Mm -hmm. out what his name is. Um, but I mean, from what like Alina and Mal experienced, where they experienced like lots of hardship. I mean, drafted as soon as you're of age to be drafted into a war for the rich people and things like that. And even like whenever. Alina so I guess we'll specifically go into spoilers now for I guess all three of the books but I highly recommend them so if you could yeah I was gonna say if you can tell Kristen highly recommends this book I gave them a four across the board like they're very solid mine are high fours I think my I never I gave Rune and Rising a five star my first time reading it but on the reread I ended up giving it four and a half but I mean I think these two are four and a half Storm is a 4.75 in my eyes and there's a reason why that is but it's technically a spoiler so i won't say why but this is this is the one oops this is siege and storm is the one even though people be praying on its downfall it is the lowest there rated. are nikolai haters there uh it is the lowest rated but i mean it's only 3.82 is for siege and storm versus as they're weak they're yeah. weak. They don't understand. They don't understand literature. Um, sorry, my books are falling. Okay, but anyways, going specifically into like the spoiler zone. Book falling. I thought it was Kaz knocking it over. Oh, speaking of, we didn't even talk about how my cat is named <laughs> for Kaz in the so in the Six of Crows universe. So not this specific one, which Kaz doesn't even show up in this, but my black cat kaz is named after kaz one of the main characters in the six of crows duology um just because whenever we met our cat kaz he was very aloof very mysterious and we were like oh wow that's just like kaz because my boyfriend was reading six of crows at the time and now that we met kaz i feel like he's violent like kaz in the book so the similarities i honestly thought you were gonna name him just I thought that's what it was going to be. I don't think Tyler cares about Jesper's character as much as as his character. I I, I agree because I do think, like, not to be like everyone else, but I do think Kaz is my favorite character in the Six of Crows duology. Because, I mean, it's hard to beat him. He is quite literally perfect. But anyways, moving on to spoiler zones for specifically Ruin and Rising, Shadow and Bone, Siege and Storm. Um, I think it's a very revolutionary story in a positive way, even though I think the ending could be improved on because it does stay in, like, the bourgeois having power. But it gets a pass because Nikolai Landstoff, I think he is my favorite Grishaverse character. I love him more than Kaz. I love him more than anyone else. I mean, I can, I think Nikolai is a class traitor. I think Nikolai is a class traitor. Controversial. In ways. In the good way. In the good way. Where he's, he's not, bourgeois, he's but he actually listens to the proletariat and he works within the proletariat too, where he and Siege and Storm, you meet him 
as uh, I don't even know how to say it. You? What does he call himself? Like a pirateer or something? Uh, a privateer. Privateer. Yeah, privateer. Um, where like you can tell that he doesn't want anything to do with the crown. Like he, he has to until until he, he like is obligated yeah. for like a variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't read Crooked Kingdom, so I can't attest. You to have read Crooked Kingdom. It's yeah. not so. What is it called? King of Scars. I always yeah. get those confused. King of Scars Ster- and Sturmhond is his privateer name. I love how he got his name. I'm sure you don't remember how you got his how he got his name, do you? No. Okay. Well, because like they kind of have like their own language where they speak, uh, Ravkin, I guess, in Ravka, and so like some of their stuff is like pseudo like Russian, like they say like Moisvartek or something to like the czar, like the king and stuff like that. Basically, how Olina thought he got his name because they call him Sorbachka, Sorbachki, or something like that. I'm sorry, I don't really know Russian, but uh, they call him Puppy. That's like translates to puppy in English, which is like a cute little nickname because like you don't really see him and he's like the youngest brother. So they kind of like write him off as just being like a little guy and like Stromhond in like, I guess, Rodkin or whatever can like translate to being like, like the wind of the wolves or something like storm of the wolves or something like that because like. You would think because of like when uh like ocean storms and things like that because he is a privateer and he stays on the true sea a lot so that's where you kind of think it comes from but then you later find out that he uh like got onto like a fjordan ship and he uh ended up cutting off the fjordan captain's fingers and feeding him to his dog and it's like something to do with that and so it's kind of like showing like that he was like violent and vicious when necessary but then he still has like genuine heart and he actually cares about, like, his people within that. He's uh, definitely somebody that actually cares about, like, the welding of Ravka. Which is significantly different than you see from his father or his mother or his brother. Yes. Like, they're not on the same level. I don't even think the apparent, the religious person, I don't think he cares about the peoples as much as, like, his own, like, moral Someone, superiority yeah. and, like, maintaining religious vows or something well because there's even so many parts with siege and storm i think that's why it's my favorite is because it does focus on nikolai so much and i mean ruin and rising has some it's not even in shadow and bones like get that book out of here for real that's why this series should be a duology um but focusing on nikolai and stuff like that where he actually did fight in the army and stuff like that and then eventually in siege and storm whenever or like the beginning of ruin and rising at the end of Siege and Storm, what happens is the Darkling ends up is able to take over because his brother basically gave him, like, the right away to walk right into the Grand Palace and stuff like that. So then the Darkling kills off all, like, Nikolai's brother dies, but then the king and the queen get away because he wants to save his family and stuff like that. He's very much an inventor and stuff like that, and he originally did serve in, like, the army. And they say that, like, the princes or whatever have to, like, serve within the army because, like, they're constantly at war, and I think it's just put on, like, a good show for, like, the bourgeois, or, like, to show, like, oh, we're bourgeois, we should have power because, look, we're just, like, you guys sort of thing, but it's kind of, like, all for show because they mention that Vasily, which is Nikolai's brother, he just, like, stayed on, like, the general's tent or whatever, but then, like, Nikolai actively was, like, out on the front lines with his people, 
and like there's like a scene where he like has a conversation with like one of the soldiers that is there is like oh like hey i remember when you me and you were like killing those fjordan men like just on the front lines together and so it's actually very much like personable to him within the war and things like that but then there's like another scene wherever he's like talking about where like Lena's like I don't want to just like risk like everybody and things like that and like risk like these people that are not like actually like people that should be risked and stuff like that like she, she's very anti like war and like self-sacrifice and things like that um, Nikolai is like well I'll be on the front lines dying with them it's like so true Nikolai he's like the good class traitor in that way where he's actually willing to die for the cause and doing what's right and that's why I can't wait till you read King of Scars because we can go into it so much more to you about like what happens within that series I know I've been meaning to sit down and read it but because it's like it's a physical book the texts are so small yeah I'm very uh, spoiled having the eager dirt yeah but I mean a lot of I know like Mariah is a big darkling defender too because that's kind of like the most one of the most controversial characters within this whole series is the darkling I don't know why um truly like I think back on it I'm like I, I mean aside from like expanding the fold um which I- was like not great I don't see it as a complete net I think it's a lot more I know a lot of people criticize uh Alina and the Darkling being paired up because he is like this ancient being sort of thing and I mean Alina is anywhere from 16 to 18 right don't they live long they don't they don't live I think like it depends on how powerful you are the Darkling says so like the more powerful ones so like Bagra is very powerful and uh the Darkling is very powerful so they've lived for thousands of years but then other Grisha might live only a couple hundred at most, I think. Maybe 200. Which is still longer than the general public. And I just yes. like to think Darkling maybe saw like a lot of rises and falls in empires. And now That's he's being like controlled by another empire. So maybe he's just fed up with it. I mean, he does say that. I think a lot of people were criticized that him trying to pursue a relationship with Alina. Because she's anywhere from 16 to 18, depending on how you view this book and things like that. But to me, I don't feel like that's a fair criticism because people will criticize the Darkling, but then Ryzan is Rizan, whatever the freaking name Rizan, is. Rizan, Tamlin. Like they're they're, all, they're, like, they're Book Talk's boyfriends. Like Credence. Yeah. Where he's actually like a forty year old man. And I don't feel like it's sad because like the way that he like individualizes Alina and stuff like that. And I think it's sad because a lot of it I think can fall on like Bagra and like how she raised him and stuff like that. And she like it's so sad because like even in Rising she talks about like how much regret she has for doing that and stuff like that because she didn't realize like she like talks about how she like stroked his pride too much and she thought that like whenever she was teaching him like about like uh Morzova or whatever the guy's name is um like his he's like all of his like creations and stuff like that she was teaching him to be as like warnings to not get too powerful and too greedy and stuff like that because that's like one of the big overarching themes within this is like what kind of like that quote but it's like um what is infinite the greed of man is like one of the big messagings within this and stuff like that and i think that's where like the darkling can get criticized is because he got too greedy yeah he definitely was just, like, searching for, like, power and, like, low-key created a power vacuum by invading the palace when he did. Yeah, and I think that was intentional. But I also feel like his relationship with Alina is less romantic and more so, like, him What's seeing somebody who was also in a very similar position who was, like, 
had this power like thrusted upon them mm-hmm. and like expectations I imagine were super super high for him when he first like came into being because who knows like how the rules and what they didn't have the same kind of like surveying didn't they have like Grisha that would go around and see um, if they had like potential to yeah, be yeah they Grisha? would test them I that was so only after the darkling new thing. that was only the after the darkling took power within the little palace and stuff like that before because before the thing is is that a lot of um the grisha did not have a place to go they didn't have like a homeland and stuff like that where like in the shoe they would experiment on their grisha and then like the furgins are like the religious zealots of the world and they would just kill anybody that showed any like inkling of the small silence and things like that where they were like more the witch hunters and things like that yeah it gave like puritanism yeah which they kind of go into that more i think in six of crows with like matthias's relationship and stuff like that so we can definitely talk about that more then but um the Darkling wanted to make a safe haven for Grisha, and I think his problem was is that he, I think because Ravka was not necessarily the most, like, open to Grisha, because they weren't. A lot of people are still, like, prejudiced against Grisha and view them as, like, witches and stuff like that because they are religious. But he chose, like, Ravka because they were, like, the most open-minded with it. But then the problem is, is that he did it at the expense of wanting to... I don't even know how to, like, describe, like, taking a land that was, like, not guaranteed or already occupied within, like, the Ravkan culture and things like that. And then he tried to integrate, like the grisha culture within that and he did it over years and years because he worked for multiple kings as like separate darklings because that's like one of the main things too where i think that's why alina did not originally follow him because she found out he was lying to her where he said like a different darkling created like the fold and stuff like that and that he wanted to destroy it whenever in reality he could have just been like hey i'm trying to make a safe space for like the grisha because like we don't have a safe space like even like the other grisha that come from other countries and talk about how like one character in the third book Harshaw he's not really that relevant throughout the series I'm only gonna like slightly mention him he talked about how he had a brother that had Inferni powers which is a part of the Squalors like subsection I'm getting really deep into like the lore of like the corporal link and like how like each of them fall under categories but um his brother had like summoning powers to like summon fire or whatever and so then his family like got burnt at the stake basically because of that and that was in like noivizem which is like not even like as like problematic and stuff like that so like these people don't have safe spaces to go to and that's like what the little palace became was whenever they found grisha they were able I think in Ravka, they only did Pacific testing, and then, like, in other countries, if they made it to the little, little palace, it was more, like, refugees. It's just sad, because that was, like, the only place for them to, like, seek refuge. Like, it was yes. nice, and I think a lot of, like, working class people throughout the countryside would get upset because they knew that, like, Grisha got treated better, better than, like, they did. But in reality, one, they don't have anywhere else to go. Like, they are forced to go and work for this empire and, like, essentially, mm-hmm. like, perform, like, colonialism or whatever they need at, like, the place of their war. Whereas, like, th- they were, like, misdirected with their anger with it being the Grisha rather than it being at the crown. Yeah, and I think that's, like, especially where there's, like, a lot of, like, separation where they talk about a lot with, like, the first and second army like the first army is like the regular people non-magical people and they're not even technically considered magical either it's like the small science so it's more of like a 
scientific like like alchemy yes almost yeah where it's a lot more it's a lot more like science and reality based versus like someone can snap their fingers and like make something happen within that and so there's kind of a lot more scientific aspect of it so i think that's what kind of makes it a more unique magic system than maybe others that are just like oh i wave my wand and i do this or i just like can will like water to move or something versus like the way that it's described like especially with like the fabric fabricers or whatever they're called specifically like how they're specifically more and like the material links and stuff like that how they specifically work and like metalworking and glassworking and things like that and i do think with how like because, like, the way this wrapped up is not a Marxist revolution in any way. And I don't really think that the Darkling is a Marxist in any way. Because I think his ideas were Grisha's superiority instead of equality for all. And I think that's kind of where, like, I think I take main issue with what he does. Not that I yeah, think... Yeah, it was not, like, a liberation yeah. that he had. It was to basically make the Grisha more powerful and stronger than regular people and things like that, which is an unfair advantage, which I understand, like, your people are being discriminated against and attacked and things like that, but that doesn't mean that they should have the right to start oppressing other groups of people, which I don't think a lot of people understand, I guess, within, like, that universe and stuff like that, because the Darkling does have significantly more Grisha followers than Alina ends up having within that, but there are still some like Grisha, like Toila, Toila and Tamar, where they follow Strumhold and then they actually are religious people and so then they end up following Alina as well, where they seem they want more like, they want more like, I don't know how to describe, like liberation for everyone rather than just or And that's why I know like Mal and like the Grisha and stuff, they wanted Alina to be queen and stuff like that because not only... For the first army and like the regular people it would be a peasant woman becoming queen but then it also is a grisha becoming queen so it's like that's why but then alina did not want that power thrusted upon herself she did not want any of that chiki don't blame her yeah like she's just some like rando orphan that gets like this power and they're like you need to be queen now and she's like mm. actually i don't want that <laughs> she's like i just want to be a regular old girl and they're like but you're not a regular old girl and it's like i know and I, that's why i feel like i can understand like criticism for alina because like she's always like she always says like sacrificing for the greater good but her only idea for sacrificing for the greater good is her being martyred instead of like doing something you know like she's like, always she trying to die yeah. <laughs> yeah like i mean i get it girly but like sometimes nikolai is not that bad i'm telling you <laughs> yeah that was always strange because right because she was supposed to marry like Nikolai like hypothetically yeah like he proposed to her multiple times and she said no every time because she was too in love with Mal Mal he's nice enough I guess like first book he's kind of a dickhead I don't know he's always kind of a dickhead and I understand like I get he's it he's through all of it and I'm pretty sure that he fucked Zoya he did like, yeah, yeah like, we like ended up confirming that that happened and it really hurt Alina and he's just like he's like sorry I didn't notice you until you got your magical powers it's like you've known her your whole life and he goes i did notice you i had an uncomfortable he says like in like rune arising he's like i did notice you and i did have like impure thoughts but i felt wrong because i was your best friend girl shut the hell up no for real like what are you talking about 
And it just like, that's why Mal like infuriates me. And I feel like Mal is not that bad. Like comparatively, there are definitely worse men in the world specifically. But in this world, but in this, I don't know. I just know if I was Alina, I would have been hanging out with Nikolai. I would have taken that Landstoff Emerald and I'd be flashing around. And that's why I think I relate. I think Zoya is one of my favorite characters in this whole series. And but she has grown on me a lot. Even though I haven't read the last two books. The last like, two books, she's... I'm like, oh, okay. I think I think you will love her in the King of Scars duology because that's really whenever I fell in love with her. And honestly, I think you're too hard on her because I think she's just like me for real. Like, she's a <laughs> bitch and she Literally. knows she's a bitch. And she doesn't try to act like she's... Like, she acts like she's better than everyone, but in, like, not ways that I think... I think people just feel bad because she is so, like, pretty and stuff like that. Not that I'm, like, saying, like, looks why. I just know personality-wise, whenever you exude confidence in that way, people view you negatively. Where she knows what she wants, and she knows how it is, you know? And, like, I love the arc that she has in, um king of scars which is something that i'll talk about in this because like a lot of the times uh mora i don't know what the hell his name is i still don't it's like morozov you know the guy Ilya morozov the guy that made the stag and the sea whip and the phoenix oh yes like the main like alchemist like one of yeah. like, the original greek um he one of the things that he said was because like one thing that it talks about a lot in this is because like and that's one thing that like towards the end of the book like uh lena is like we should not have such distinct separations within the grisha which is like they have like in the beginning of all of the books i'll go off the page even though it'll be backwards but like they have like the grisha like individually sectioned out in the order of like importance so like the corporal there's like a hierarchy within the little place. yes and so like the corporalaki i don't i hate saying these names but that's like the heart renders and the healers those are like and even like within the darklings like hierarchy he actively like prioritizes the healers and the heart renders more than he does any other like all of his right hand people are all heart renders which are like the highest ones which are like they're viewed as like the most powerful in ways which i think is discounts so much other like how important like the other grisha are and stuff like that like trying to you trying to tell me that david is not as powerful as like tamar or toilet toll tolia is actually crazy to me because I think the ideas and stuff with the material Lakey that like the, the things that David creates within the series are so important to like how much they do and stuff like that versus like the heart renders where I think they're just more showy with like how they use the small they're science. showy and like from like a battle standpoint I, I get it like mm-hmm. if you have to pick who's gonna defend you in battle like for hand-to-hand combat you're not gonna yeah. pick like a battle but even then but the fabricators but even then like tailors are crazy the tailors like that's so like the espionage part of having like a tailor and stuff like that but tailors actually fall under the heart renders so maybe not a good comparison mariah but like i mean like summoners with like zoya and stuff like that with how like they're able to use like the wind and stuff like that and like use that to like push people away from you 
or like the tide makers yeah the tide yeah. makers like that's just that's just cool yeah but like being able to like control like the water and things like that and i do think that it's like that's another thing too where it causes like separation within like the darklings ranks and stuff like that where like the lower class like fabricators and stuff like that they're not like they're not like oh well we're not as relevant to the darkling even though david comes up with some amazing things to like empower the darkling and empower alina with like their blast powders and stuff like that where just because they're working behind the scenes within it doesn't not make them powerful within it like what david is also one of my favorite characters i love him so much um and he's there's a reason for that because he's just like me too, for real. I want to his Yeah, because my boy is definitely autistic. There's so many times where they'd be like talking to him. And he's just like, so anyways, about fabrication. They're like, bro, could you make so it any more? Yeah, <laughs> no, literally. But it's like, can you make it any more obvious? And I don't know if like, I don't, I didn't see anything about Lee Bardugo, like specifically saying that he was like autistic coded or anything in so many ways. But the way that he acts and talks and stuff like that is just like so like direct and like nothing where he's like, I like, he does not understand social cues like at all because like there's like a scene where like uh, Alina talks about like burning some of his journals and he's like are you joking because i cannot tell you're joking and it's like <laughs> me too for real where like you well, can't even pick up again like the taylor no him. flirting with him or anything like that where he's just like completely oblivious to like outside things like that and i think he's such a sweet character um even though he's a good one and i think like that's one thing that, like, if you're not even into the plot, I think Lee Bardugo has beautiful character work. She writes amazing characters. And that's why whenever people to me are, like, criticizing, like, Alina for, like, being bland and stuff like that, I feel like she's not even, like, she is bland in the way that, like, your stereotypical, like, 2012 main character is bland. Like, you know, like, how, like, even, like, Katniss is not very, like... But I also think as, like, adults reading this, we're going to view it as being more bland. It's juvenile. It's definitely yeah. not us. Yeah. That are supposed to be the ones that are reading it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to, like, pull yourself back out of the immersion and, like understand that like maybe you as like a 25 year old aren't going to relate to it mm-hmm. but a 15 doesn't mean like, like i would how like when henry is old enough i think he would really like this story because mm-hmm. it's good it's like a story that anybody of any age can read yes and that's something too where it's like even though i think alina is bland because especially you think about that time frame of when young adult novels are published where they're very much like oh like your main character needs to be able to have be projected on by who's ever reading it and I think that's something that a lot of young adult novels did back in that time so there's no way you can really criticize it for it because they're so like oh well you have to make sure that your main character can be imprinted on by the reader so they can really imagine themselves within the story which is how I think Alina can be criticized in ways but I don't think it's a strong enough criticism because I do think she has a personality within herself where she's funny and she's kind and she's genuinely just like a nice person that doesn't want to be the chosen one quote unquote i think if there's anything else you you summed it up real good yeah i mean yeah yeah there's not 
And the thing is, is that there are like a lot of like political things and stuff like that. But I do think it's hard to only like talk about the the one political parts within this because of how you'll end up reading um, the other two series and they kind of all. So I feel like The King of Scars will do all of you whenever we talk about those. That'll be our big like overarching like critique of the politics within the series. And I do think that those are actually more political than this series is. I could probably see. I can. It seems like in Six of Crows that we get a little bit more mm-hmm. like insight into like corruption and government and whatnot, mm-hmm. and and even these like it, sure it's it's no babble. No, yeah, but I'm just not no trying babble, to be babble. But it's good, and yeah. like it's not bad. There's a lot of diversity in later books, and even this, I don't think it's like there is not di- it, like it could be better. But for being from 2012, I think it's pretty. Good I mean, there's to, LGBT. Like, there's LGBTQ characters in this, uh, with Nadia and uh, Tamar uh, having their relationship in this book. In the last book, at least, is referenced where they kiss directly within the page and stuff like that. So, I mean, for 2012, having queer representation and then even, I believe, I, I don't know. Never mind. I won't say it because I don't want to. It's like a reveal in King of Scars. <laughs> so, um, but other than that, I mean... It's a really good, fun story that I think that anybody can read and they can find, like, characters to relate to. Because it's such a, it is a diverse cast and, like, personalities, but then also it does become more diverse within um, Six of Crows, I think, is really diverse. Especially even though there's more, like, LGBTQ plus IA representation and things like that. And I think from something being written, I mean, over 10 years ago, it's it holds a lot more weight. And I'm sure it probably meant a lot more back in 2012 whenever you were reading these verses. Reading them now, it's so casual. So you're like, of course. I think this would be like the perfect book if you are somebody who wants to like read something with your kid. But you also want to find a way to talk about like bigger like political concepts, but maybe you don't know how to like introduce it without just like coming out and like, oh, let's talk about X, Y, and Z genocide or like exploitation. Like this, you could use as like a stepping stone with mm-hmm. your kids. Especially, I think like mid- middle grade. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no smut in this. Like, I think the only anything. thing is like a little bit. It's like suggestive in Ruin and Rising, and like it's kind of suggested throughout where like it's implied. It's like a fade to black. Yeah, it's it, it's not anything. Where it's like that it's definitely just more like oh they implied that they had like relations together where like they're only gonna know what happened between them if they're aware of like what sex is anyways which i mean this might be like my parenting hot take but it's like sex isn't a bad thing no most people do it at some point and it should be like a moralizing issue so i don't see a problem with the way that it was presented in this i don't think it's inappropriate i think like especially i think any Buddy, that's like 11 12 plus i think this is a good series for them to read um even i don't know six of crows is pretty violent the only thing that i feel like a little controversial uh, maybe hold off but even then i would probably still like middle school or like in high school like i think that would be like a decent age range yeah i think definitely middle school i think i could i was definitely reading worse stuff to be honest <laughs> with the <laughs> unrestricted internet access so i think it's definitely different but i do think this is a like one of the best like consistent young adult novels that I feel like actually has like something where it doesn't talk down on the reader and stuff like that, which I know can be like some that can be a criticism of young adult where like it's too kiddy. Where I read these for the first time as an adult and reread these last week, and they still mean a lot to me. And I could say that for the entirety oh, yeah. of the Grishaverse. 
Like, I love every single one of them. But, I mean, I don't even know what else to say. Just, like, there's anything else to say they're no about them. I mean, they're not perfect books, and there's definitely plenty you can criticize about. But I do think that if you're, especially if you're younger and you're trying, I think this is a great book to get, like, middle school kids back into reading. Because apparently there's, like, the whole discourse with, like, middle schoolers being in Sephora and, like, obsessed with skincare and things like that. Which I, I, I don't know if you want to include this. I don't really understand why people are so mad there's like kids going into Sephora like I remember going around like Macy's and whatnot as like a middle schooler because your parents like drop you off at the mall and yeah. you just like walk around and you look at Spencer's and you look in like the back room you're like oh my god hee 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 yeah like, this isn't anything new I but think the- they're also like a lot of places are closing down so what, what kids don't kids have anywhere do? to hang out is the problem but I think I the main like only criticism that I could see and that I like understand is that these kids are into skincare so much. Yeah, that is a problem. Like, there should not, like, you should not be using retinol when you're 12. Exactly, yes. And that's, like, I think the main criticism of it because, like, they're going into Sephora. And, like, to be honest, everyone's like, oh, my God, all these kids are in the drunk elephant section. I don't even know what drunk elephant is, to be honest. It's a really expensive skincare brand. But even if they're in the drunk elephant section, like, is that going to, how is that affecting your shopping experience? Like, if they're not, Talking like, you. bothering yeah. you? I know, like, kids can be annoying. Like, they're at the age where they're, like, learning how to be their own person. Like, just that's just part of growing up. But, like, mind your business. Yeah. Like, let them do whatever. And like, it's if they like, feel grown up and cool, like, it's not the kids' fault yeah. that they're there either. It's the parents' fault, to be real. Uh, like, yeah. Like, you're, you're a parent. You should be taking your kid to the library at that age. You should not be dropping them off at Sephora. And, you know, like, be with your kids. Spend time with them as much as you can. I know it's hard under the late stage of capitalism. But this is a series that you can have your kids be reading instead of... Yeah, if you don't want your kids at Sephora buying skincare, maybe consider reading Lee Bardugo's Six of Crows trilogy. Shadow and Bone trilogy. I said the wrong one, didn't I? Yeah, it's Six of Crows. <laughs> Which, objectively, uh, like, overall, I think Six of Crows is a better series than this. But I think this is such a great basis for a beautiful world that Lee Bardugo has constructed. And I think it is great that you can make it so diverse. And, like, it's a, it's a good foundation. And I think that's any anything that's, like, with a diverse fantasy world that you want to have, it needs a good foundation. And Shadow and Bone does that. For the Grease Shiver. Unlike other book talk fantasies. Oh my bangs again. We need an outro. Yeah. But anyways. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sure our next episode is probably going to be on the Six of Crows duology. If all things go according to plan. But if not, he might get a surprise backlogged episode that we have. Which we only have one. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) um, anyways, um, yeah, that's Shadow and Bone. We'll see you with one of my favorite duology. This is like my month of reading. Like we're talking about my series. Because we were going to do Mariah's series. But unfortunately Mariah has a thing for problematic authors. So oh, it's not happening anymore. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, We're just not going to promote them. Yeah. You know, but if you've listened this far and you have books that you don't think are talked about enough, like let us know. I would yeah. love to know more books in book series, maybe outside of book talk. Um, One book series that I do want to do that I haven't read and I know you haven't read either is the Cruel Prince trilogy. Cause I see it all the time. From my, my understanding is that it's similar to Shadow and Bone, but it's enemies to lovers. So. Well, maybe we'll check it out. But yeah, that's all. Goodbye.